we're back. It's the CXM Experience. And as always, I am Grad Khan, CXO, Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And today, I actually am really, really super jazzed today because I'm talking with Josh Nafman. He's the Global Director of Media and Digital at Diageo. Uh, Josh and I actually got to meet uh, about uh, two months ago. Uh, he actually presented at our annual sales kickoff, which we call ASCO at Sprinkler. And Josh did an amazing job and was incredibly inspiring to our whole sales team and told a bunch of stories about how Sprinkler had transformed the way things work at Diageo. And we're not going to get into that today because we're Josh and I want to talk about digital transformation and customer experience and a bunch of other things. But uh, but Josh was was fantastic and got a chance to spend some time with him back then. And he's back on the CXM experience. So uh, and we'll see see what happens after today. See if you see if we talk again. But Josh, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it. And you're a native New Yorker, Brett and uh, Yeah. Bred and born, I've uh, been here for um, my entire life, with the exception of about two years where I made my way out to the West Coast, uh, Los Angeles. All right, so I've got to ask you a few questions then. Favorite bagel? New York bagel. Uh, definitely tall bagel down the block from me. Tall, okay. <laughs> I am a tall bagel fan as well. Okay, very good. Uh, let's see, what else would I... Uh, do you have a favorite restaurant? Um, favorite restaurant? Um, too many to choose from. Uh, I love to, all the restaurants. Um, you ever been to Bistro Vendome? I have not. Uh, I walk past it all the time. Um, I, I would say I'm a master of takeout rather than restaurants these days. Well, they, so uh, they I, have my, I have my go-tos. <laughs> they do an amazing takeout. I actually had Dover Soul takeout from Bistro Vendome. But uh, Bistro Vendome is where I went on my first sort of real date with my fiance. And it's just us on 58th, I 58, think, right? yeah. Yeah. And it's a fantastic restaurant. It's like one of the, it's a, it's a more authentic French restaurant than you'd suspect. But if you ever get a chance, um, you know, maybe we could meet there for a drink sometime because we don't live that far apart. All right, good. Well, uh, welcome. Uh, so, you know, I thought it would be kind of fun just to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, where things are going in marketing today. I had a really interesting conversation with the CMO the other day. And I was, we were just chatting about, you know, what are the kind of main pitfalls that may sort of stand in the way of marketers. And, and his comment was fascinating. And his, what he said was, he thinks one of the biggest challenges before marketers today is that there's so much to do and so much presented to us to do that it's easy to get lost in all of it. It's easy to lose focus. Uh, and he actually said, you know, that he thinks that there's a, a struggle between classic marketing, get out the message, you know, reach, frequency, you know, all leads, all that kind of stuff. And then what he calls experience, because I'm a bit of an exception as a CXO, but most companies don't have chief experience officers. Most companies don't have anyone, quotation marks, in charge of experience. And uh, often it's falling now to the marketing team who are not fully equipped, right? They don't control the product. They don't control customer care. I mean, there are many components of customer experience. And I actually had a terrible one a few minutes ago, which I'll tell you about. But there are many components of customer experience that marketers don't control, but essentially rolls up to them. So I'd love your perspective on this. Uh, so this is kind of like my new, I think, favorite leadoff question. Uh, how are you thinking about experience? And how do you think about this? Do you think it's a conflict or not? And then as a marketer, how do you see experience falling under your bailiwick on a long-term basis? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to the first piece of uh, the other CMO's quote is, um, I like to think marketers are overwhelmed by opportunity these days. There's so many right. things that you can do. It's just a matter of how are you being choiceful and how you're doing that. I would say a lot of marketers are currently trying to hold the tension between the brutal efficiency and effectiveness that their business is demanding them um, in comparison to putting the consumer actually at the center of things. Um, where, uh, unfortunately, I'd say a lot of marketers, the conversation is around what's in it for, let's say, your company rather than what's the value that a consumer is getting out of that. Because they, they for some, and I'm seeing this uh, specifically in the data area where it goes, everybody wants to capture all of this data in order to provide better experiences. But what happens if we flipped it and said, why don't we actually just focus on delivering amazing experiences to consumers? And if there's data that comes out of that and makes that experience better, that's great. Oh, I like that. So it's a nice Copernican shift. Yeah, just like turn it on its head. So what would that look like if someone did that? So I hear you. I hear you. Like people are, it's almost like you can get trapped in this sort of ongoing data project, right? Like a, a lot of people creating data lakes. I don't know if that's something that you see and evolve in, in your experiences, but these data lakes become projects unto their own, which is connecting everything with this sort of sense that one day when we have it all, something special is going to happen. But what you're saying is worry about making something special happen now and then the data will come out. How do you do that? How do you make that flip happen? So uh, I think, first of all, it's uh, uh, from a... <laughs> From an ongoing data project, I think a lot of companies are are pursuing it that way. Say, collect it all, and then we'll figure it out. And in reality, I think that the way you move forward with that right now is you really invest the time and the energy into your employees, into all the different consumer touch points that you have to make sure that it is actually I would say benefiting the consumer and using whatever data you have on hand. You don't need a ton of it. It's basically just looking for signals from, I would say, a couple of seed signals from people, whether it's in digital or it's in physical. Just be like, hey, uh, I found that when a bartender talks to a uh, uh, when a bartender talks to a possible customer or something like that and says, hey, I really recommend the following drink. They tend to actually go hmm. for the recommendation. Something as simple as that versus bombarding with an ad saying you should buy something. And so um, I would say the opportunity is there for businesses to focus more on the consumers rather and actually action on doing so rather than um, just collecting information about what consumers may want. (laughs) Because the activation part is something that they don't always think through. They don't have the people, process, or technology to go about doing it. Right. There's this concept of the brain and the body that I'm seeing more and more which is um, you know, the brain being the information, the data, the understanding, the listening that kind of goes into it, um, but the body being taking action on it, right? And I, I'd almost say that a lot of customer experience initiatives I'm seeing today are very brain-focused yeah. uh, without a whole lot of body attached to it. And I would say that generally, customers probably prefer more body than brain, right? Like they prefer if there's some reason issue or opportunity that they have, they want someone to take action on it and solve their problem or, you know, help them out versus, you know, just record the fact that they had a, a query or an experience or a problem. I, I would say there is definitely, it's a good articulation of the tension between the two companies are definitely focused on the brain aspect of it um, rather than the the body aspect of it. I, I mean, just going back to like the data acquisition piece of it, 
it's um, we are all incredibly rich. Uh, I would say incredibly rich in data overall. Um, what we're poor in is action on that data, insights on that data. And it's because we're not investing in the piece that we actually need the most help with. The technology is not going to solve all the problems. As an organization, you actually need to change how you think about things. I mean, I've even gone as far as saying, okay, rather than just collecting data, uh, whether it's performance or consumer data, et cetera, why don't we go into uh, the native platforms or go into the various technologies that we have and look for something surprising? Pick out one thing that you found surprising and share it with another human being within the company and say, cool, now what are we actually going to do with it and go do that? That's going to have a hell of a lot more impact than another report, another dashboard that people are not going to necessarily use. I'd much rather have people actually discussing data and questioning things and moving things forward rather than just collecting because the collection, uh, nobody's ever said, oh, my God, I have billions of uh, billions of these profiles, but they just sit there. Oh man, that is, that is, that's super profound. You know, I mean, not enough people are saying that right now. I'll give, I'll give, I'll give you my bad customer experience example from today. Uh, so I'm a, I, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, but I'm a purple fanatic. Like I'm a huge <laughs> fan of purple mattresses, purple pillows, all things purple. The grid I think is a brilliant, it really it does it for you. <laughs> it's a brilliant piece of technology. What, what the, I mean, it's this incredible piece of chemical technology that invented that grid. And, um, and so I have been buying purple before they were really even advertising. I've, I've been with the brand from day one and I had the weirdest experience today. And it's such, it's so interesting. I'm always sort of analyzing my own reactions to these things. So I've given purple thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Maybe tens of, and um, every place I own has got purple mattresses in it. I got purple pillows everywhere. I got purple pads everywhere. I tell everybody I know to buy purple. So who knows how much business I've generated for them? So my mom, for some reason, my mom and I, you know, connect on a pretty frequent basis, and mm-hmm. somehow I have not sent her one of the new purple pillows. I don't even understand how that could have happened because I'm pretty on stuff like that. And, and she has some neck issues. And so, you know, I always try to kind of think about the latest things that would be great. And this new purple pillow is extraordinary. The purple hex pillow, it's mind blowing how good it is. It's like not even a pillow. It's like some kind of alien technology from area 51. And then somehow they gave it the purple. Right. And, um, and so I say to my mom, I have my purple pillows are so great. I said, you know, do you like yours? And she's like, I don't have one. I'm like, hey, God, I'm the worst son in the world, right? <laughs> and so I go on the purple site today. I'm going to get her a pillow right away, get it sent to her. And I'm, you know, kind of make it sort of part of a Mother's Day present. And I go to purple.com and the chat comes up and then says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, do you ship to Canada? She lives in St. Catharines, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Do you ship to Canada? And they said, um, our partner in Canada is Sleep Country. Call 1-800-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. That was the answer to my question. Why didn't they do it for you? Well, so I said, so, so I, I don't normally do this, but I said, so the answer is no. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that your way of telling me, no, we don't ship to Canada? And I said, why do I have to call a phone number? And they said, oh, our Canadian site is purple.com forward slash CA. I think, okay, well, there's a Canadian site. It's always a little bit weird doing that, but mm-hmm. I do that with Amazon all the time and I've gotten used to it. So I think, okay, so go to the purple Canadian site, right? Mm-hmm. They don't sell that pillow in Canada. Because I guess Canadians don't deserve to have healthy necks. Or maybe they're just too tough already. I don't know. Why would they sell it? 
<laughs> Why wouldn't they sell it? Anyway, so it's not available in Canada, right? So now I'm kind of back. So anyway, the pillow, net net, and the pillow is being shipped to me, and I'm going to ship it to my mom. But it was a very dissatisfying experience overall because what was interesting to me is I think what was what went wrong there, right? And, and what went wrong was they didn't seek to understand the underlying reason why I wanted to know if they shipped to Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right? What, what an opportunity! Ask me that. Why do you want to ship to Canada? Why is that important? Well, I live in the U.S. My mom lives in Canada. I'm a big purple. Like, you see how that could have changed the conversation? Oh, well, you know, and then think about how they could have helped or start taking that signal and sending it to management saying there's a lot of Americans sending stuff back to their, or, or, you know, former Canadians living in America, sending their (laughs) stuff back to their families. It would be nice if we could expedite that for them versus, you know, me having to bring it here. I I don't know if it's going to get to her in time for Mother's Day. Maybe. I got a 50-50 chance, but, you know, it's not 100% anymore. Like, it's just, it would have been so much better. And what I think to, when I see this stuff is that I know that there's a marketer somewhere in purple right now silently screaming because that person knows that this kind of stuff's going on, but they don't have any way of intersecting it because the customer care team, which is who I guess I was dealing with on the website chat, is not connected to the marketing team. So let's talk for a second about silos and companies and how they're affecting experience and and how do marketers help bridge that? And, and what have you seen work in your, with your peers and your experiences? What have you seen work in terms of trying to bring those silos together so we don't have that separate experience that's so frustrating? I mean, someone spent millions of dollars nurturing me over the years and I'm just sitting here on the air pissing all over them like it's a terrible <laughs> outcome right yeah. and so and they're like oh how could they have avoided that so i'd love, love to hear your perspective on that uh yeah i mean from the well first of all all of the all large organizations have silos um for some it's i like to think of things as it's incredible what you can do if you don't care who gets the credit and i feel like a lot of Ooh. organizations are very focused on wow. um a marketing department a sales department uh ecom etc uh, getting credit, uh, because credit is viewed as a way forward for that person's career or for that person's business. And that all comes from the, how are we setting goals? To be honest, I haven't necessarily cracked it yet. Uh, I would say the places where I've had the best success is, uh, democratizing the information I have in terms of, uh, if I'm noticing something, telling a lot of people about it, and it's not for the purpose of getting credit. It's the purpose of, I very much like, I'd say taking a systems approach to things, rather than a silos approach. And not enough marketers are viewing it as a system, not enough salespeople, not enough e-commerce view it as a system. I would say e-commerce overall, especially in consumer experiences and customer experiences, is um, the closest to a true system um, because it forces you in order to be successful to actually share information amongst them. One side needs to talk to the other and it doesn't have to be something formal. It's more of a, how do you bring people along. Like I said, I haven't cracked it. It's something that trying to figure out. And the best thing that I've gotten to so far is just talking to people because I find that if you talk to somebody and you share what you're doing, most of the time they go, cool, well, I'm doing something similar or I'm doing this and this is how it can connect. And you start making the connections. So. Hmm. I really like that systems approach. How do you, how do you implement that? I mean, (sighs) Well, first of all, it's, I think there's the, I think goal setting is probably one of the biggest, I would say, kind of screwing up how businesses operate. And the reason why I say that is because if you set a goal, there's a lot of people that are going to go as hard as they can in order to achieve that, 
a specific goal rather than kind of taking a more holistic view on the how am I uh, improving the business holistically? It's about what am I doing to contribute? And and the holistic aspect of it just seems to be lost. Uh, there's there's not really necessarily a, some of the bigger companies, I would say, um, the community sense, the sharing sense of it. And so the way that you do it is to, number one, create a culture where hoarding of information is not beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I would say number two is make it so that it's not viewed as wasted time if you're communicating or working cross departmentally, um, mm. and 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 I feel like there's a lot yeah, of companies where where the wasted time aspect of it, it goes oh well you know you need buy in you need stakeholders and stuff like that and it's like there should be some kind of mechanism in order for uh, what I'm doing in media or digital to then connect over to a department that it might not necessarily on the face of it make a ton of sense to, but it could influence. And honestly, that's the reason why I love digital is because I view it as the ribbon that connects everything because there is no digital or non-digital experiences these days. Digital is marketing. Digital is kind of what we're all doing. And they either start or end in some kind of thing attached to technology. And so it being the ribbon that connects things, um, that's ultimately how I'm viewing it. Have I implemented or just scaled it? Absolutely not. It's really difficult to do because cultures are uh, are formed over years rather than just uh, just when somebody like myself starts working at a company. <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. You know, I want to I want to get a little bit of I'm going to you've got some really profound stuff here. So I'm going to give you a quick story from Microsoft, which I think might you might enjoy and uh, I'll tie to what you just said. But I also want to get a little bit of like how you got here. So I want to get a little bit of your backstory as well. Your, you know, Microsoft is, you know, people uh, love to malign Microsoft. I'm a huge fan, worked there for a dozen years, and I loved every minute of it. And, you know, I miss it all the time. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that I thought was brilliant, and it was just as Satya came in, was they made a change in the, because um, Satya was, a, was confronted with maybe a slightly more siloed company than he would have preferred. And he worked really hard to break that down. And you can see the outcome. Uh, from what he did there. And his book is a brilliant, he's a brilliant book about how he changed the culture and broke down all the silos in the company. And one of the things was this HR change. Mm-hmm. And the HR transformation was your rating and your review was based now on three things. And your manager would literally sort of complete each area and sort of essentially score you on each of these three areas. And mm-hmm. then your cumulative score was kind of how you got evaluated. So area number one is how you performed against your goals. Well, makes sense, right? That's you know, mm-hmm. pretty typical. Number two, it was how you helped someone else achieve their goals. Hmm. That's a great one. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I mean, oh, that yeah. is like you I, had to have <laughs> examples of where you would help someone else achieve their goals. Like it, it was like, that was a head snap. Like a third of your evaluation was based on how you would help someone else achieve their goals. Right. And the third category was my favorite one, which is what you had stolen from someone else to help get your job done. Stolen, not in a bad way, but like what, you know, what, what things did you like borrow from others? What have you learned from other teams that helped you get your job done? That was a third of your review. I mean, that would force, uh, well, first of all, that's going to force some of the the selfish psychopaths uh, uh, to, to, to be reconsidered <laughs> as leadership just because they produce uh, results ruthlessly. Um, right. But I mean, that definitely brings people together because it, uh, I mean, that's a, to your question before, where it's uh, you know, how do you systematize it? That's how you do it. I can see 
Uh, I always say follow the, follow the money, but another way to, to do it is uh, follow the review, I guess. Um, yeah. it, it sucks that's where the that, money comes from. <laughs> it, 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 it sucks that, uh, that, that the modern processes have to go towards the something like that um, rather than it just being something that is, I would say, kind of outside of a review or, or reward standpoint, because uh, I like to think of the goodness of humans and, and, you know, the reason why we're so successful as a, uh, as a species is because of uh, being able to work together. And we seem to have uh, lost that to a certain degree. So. Yeah. Well, I think enlightened self-interest has clearly won the day versus, you know, the um, doing everything for each other, but I hear you. I mean, I, I always <laughs> want that too. Um, but anyway, it was ama- It was an amazing moment. I'm a big believer in marketing and HR being very tightly tied together. I did a, I had a really great podcast with Diane Adams, who's our chief culture and talent officer at Sprinkler. Mm-hmm. And Diane and I have been really, really, really close partners from the beginning. And I actually think that many marketers miss the HR piece uh, and the HR connection and how, first of all, I think the marketing department can help HR achieve a lot of its internal goals about transforming culture, communicating with employees and all that kind of stuff. They're just mm-hmm. natural partners there. But I actually think that a lot of the HR systems can do a lot to actually help marketing influence what's going on in these other departments and, you know, help, you know, change the reward system so you don't have the experience that I had with Purple today. So anyway, so let's talk about you for a second. So uh, I assume you wanted to be a marketer since you were a young kid. Uh, David Ogilvy in the crib. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Ooh, I went okay. into college wanting to be either a veterinarian or oh. a meteorologist and chasing nice. tornadoes or helping animals. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, I, and Which is kind of like marketing, really, when you think about it. <laughs> I, well, maybe the meteorology side. Uh, I, I guess I appreciated being able to be wrong and still get paid. Um, <laughs> but, but, but overall, um, yeah, I, I went into college thinking that I was going to be in meteorology uh, or veterinary medicine and stuff like that. And I, I found myself wanting to take a journalism approach to that. Um, and so a journalism as a minor with those as majors and stuff like that eventually became, um, English and journalism and communication. So still no business classes in any way, shape or form. And I came out of college as a copywriter. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and so I came out of college as a copywriter and I would say I quickly found out being at a big agency, um, I quickly found out that I don't really like being told to be creative, uh, by gunpoint. So I quickly made my way into, um, what I thought was going to be a more gratifying side, because I still wanted to be in the creative industry. And I went to account management, account planning, uh, I kind of made my, made my way through, uh, made my way through various parts of the, the ad agency world, project management, all the way down into, uh, innovation and packaging and design management. Um, oh, okay. uh, and, and which so, agencies were you at? Uh, so I was at uh, TBWA media arts lab, um, nice. a company called concept farm at one point, bounced around a bit. It was pretty much like every year or two, uh, as a millennial, I was like, I, Classic, deserve, to be, yeah. I yeah. deserve to be promoted. So I'm going to promote myself by moving companies. And then eventually I got brought in house. Uh, I was doing design, <laughs> design work actually, uh, for a company called Arnell around the PepsiCo redesign of Tropicana and all of those different, uh, uh oh, yeah. when they had yeah. that major logo issue. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, just uh, went client side. I was at Pepsi for about five years on the, the digital and media team. Went to Kind Snacks. Went to a place uh, called uh, Hello Products, a great natural toothpaste brand. And then I find myself at Diageo. And just throughout there, I've been really good at riding the wave of, uh, hey, you know, I like technology. I'm pretty 
good at, uh, I'd say, getting up to speed on things. And so it went from, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in digital and then I'm in social and then I'm in content and then I'm in now programmatic and data and technology. And so um, just overall, I'm just kind of going with it because I like technology. I believe great marketing is technology-based now. And I guess uh, that's kind of how my career is built over time from uh, science and meteorology and veterinary medicine to using science, technology, et cetera, for the purpose of uh, getting people to buy more booze. Uh, compliantly, of course. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you're still doing, you're doing society a great service, actually. So, what, especially the last year. What, um, that's a really neat background, though. I think the creative angle is super interesting, actually, because the, I think there is a bit of soullessness in some marketing now. And I think having people come from the creative side, I think is really important. Do you have any do you have any big copywriting heroes like John Caples or um, Reeser I, or any like what's your do you have a, any touchstones in that space? I wouldn't necessarily have any specific touchstones. It's more of a just a, rather than people, more of the work uh, in which I believe that I, I, in, in my core is that people don't hate advertising. People hate shitty advertising. Oh. Um, yeah. I think, I think people love so advertising. I, I love advertising. So true. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a matter of, I'd say certain parts of the business kind of beats the, can beat the creative creativity out of those things or dissected enough where it's not, doesn't have room to breathe to actually be able to drive the business. And so, um, I mean, candidly, I got exhausted from having the creative conversations, um, around, you know, what does this content mean? What does this brand mean? And stuff like that. And I started being like, listen, I need more firepower in these discussions. And that's why I started going more into the data side, the technology side of being like, mm. let me look for what consumers are actually saying. Uh, my, my favorite thing to do these days is, uh, looking at the results that I'm seeing on, let's say, uh, a Facebook from a performance standpoint and going back to a, uh, uh, going back to my, my marketers, um, and basically saying like, Hey, listen, I'm seeing the following, uh, the following things. It's suggesting that the Facebook algorithm really doesn't like your creative and you probably need to swap it out for something else. Cause the, it's not resonating with the audience. And they, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, which previously I would have just been like, listen, you're, you're advertising, you're advertising in a way that's just not relevant to that consumer. And sometimes you lose that in either your audience targeting or in the message that you're putting out there. And so it's just another way to have that discussion uh, without burning bridges. <laughs> wow. No, you're right. Actually, it's a, it is an interesting way to have a more rational discussion about something that used to be a very heated emotional discussion. Uh, I remember arguing for a month about um, uh, 30 frame, no, 15 frames. Half a second, 15 frames of a downy commercial. Whether we should have more bubble landing on blanket or more mom hugging child. It was amazing. I mean, it would have been so great just to test it, but we, we had no way of doing that, right? So you never knew. You know, the, uh, did you hear that? I don't know if you read this, but Jane Moss, you know, you know Jane Moss, uh, kind of I Love New York and a lot of famous campaigns. Uh, she died recently, but she wrote a book called Mad Women. Hmm. And she wrote it, she wrote it in response. She was watching the show. And there's a number of inconsistencies in the show with history. Like mm -hmm. one thing she points out in her book is that one of the ways that in the 1960s that women and agencies would differentiate themselves is that uh, once they got promoted to management, they always wore hats. Hmm. Always. That's interesting. Yeah. Always. I mean, I always wore a hat. Like the day you got into management, you wore a hat every day constantly. Like you wouldn't take it off all day long. 
And so they, she said that in, in people who were, you know, in the secretarial pool didn't wear hats and then the management wore, wore hats. And that's how they told each other apart. I was like, I never even thought of that before. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, come a long way. Come a long way, right? Uh, but, uh, but her book, Mad Women, I think may be one of the best books written on advertising, period. And, uh, and it's so great. She worked for Leona Helmsley. Mm-hmm. And she, has a, she had, did a couple of memoirs. And in one of her memoirs, she talked about Leona Helmsley as being kind of tough but fair, you know, kind of like that sort of assessment. Mm-hmm. And Mad Women, she's like, Leona Helmsley's dead now and I'm 82. This is how it really went down. <laughs> you got to read it. I mean, it's like, it's like, oh boy, you know, there's some, uh, some broken, there's some broken pieces inside there that need to be put back together. But anyway, she was, she's one of my favorites. Uh, okay, let's come back to this for a second. Let's just finish up with digital transformation. So, one of the other things, like, you know, we've talked a little bit about cross-silo stuff today, right? And and how marketing kind of gets hauled into these cross-silo discussions, might be able to do a better job by, you know, working with HR and working in different departments and thinking about customer experience, thinking about things from a system standpoint. Digital transformation is something that everyone's kind of had on our board deck for the last five to 10 years. Uh, it's something that's, you know, it's been a, a word that's been around for a while but no one really took it super seriously until the last year. And you know, everyone's quoted this, but you know, Satya Nadella famously said uh, kind of midway through the pandemic that in the last two months, we've seen two years of digital transformation progress. So the, you know, customers have just you know, giddied up and sort of way more rapid uh, movement. I'm seeing it every single day. The customers that I work with at Sprinkler are in the midst of these massive change management processes massive digital transformations, all these different industries that we work with, all changing overnight. It's actually kind of amazing. Uh, and it's actually kind of amazing at how far behind some still were, right? That even though they could have gotten there, but they just had not had the incentive. So what's your experience in this? Like, where do you see the, the pain that people have? And what's the incentive to drive digital transformation? And when when you see it working well, what do you think the factors behind success are so i mean i always struggle i struggle very much with change management around digital transformation and the reason why is because it's such digital and transformation are such loaded words some organizations are taking it forward as uh when you say digital um okay are you talking about uh what's happening behind the scenes are you talking about marketing are you talking about um and how are you communicating to consumers is it all of the above that kind of feels like trying to boil the ocean in organizations that just don't know how to define what actually the outcome of a digital transformation is. So I say the number one issue that I think most companies have with digital transformation is they don't really know why they're doing it. They know that they need to do it, Hmm. Um, which is kind of this weird thing where they're like, yeah, you know, I absolutely need to, uh, I need to start using data. I need to start using technology. I need to automate things. Um, and, and it gets them into this very much, uh, this, I would say, just enthusiasm for change. And that's great to have the enthusiasm. It's great to kind of think those things through. But um, a core part of digital transformation is actually what digital gives us. It gives us the agility to test, learn, and scale. And that is the part that all organizations or the vast majority of organizations are getting fairly wrong because most of them are set up as cruise ships and digital is built off of the idea of being a speedboat. You say that you can actually mm. move from, uh, I would say, pick up speed, 
have a direction where you're going and get after it. And I would say in my own experience, and I've been across, I would say two or three digital transformations, whether it's building a department from scratch or going into a major organization that has kind of, I would say the pieces there, but it's not really working together is to just, I'd say first settling yourself down, understanding what are the pieces of digital transformation you want to get out of? How do you not make it so that it's not just buzzword or shiny object focused and just getting out and starting to do things rather than thinking too much about the major investments, the tech shifts, et cetera, that are there, just start doing things. And then if a technology helps in order for you to do things easier, better, faster, then bring that technology on. I'll give an example is uh, my current company, Diageo. We bought it when I started, we bought a DMP. It was a shiny object and it was going to go, this is going to fundamentally change how, how we communicate with consumers. I, I equate it to, we bought a Ferrari and nobody knew how to drive stick. It, audience oh, segmentation right. and thinking about the audience wasn't necessarily built into the way of working and eventually got rid of the DMP. I'm hearing across many companies right now, CDP is the same thing. That's yeah. the next thing. Everybody needs to purchase the CDP because first party date, third party data is going away and all this other fun stuff. And it just goes, what are you going to do with it? How is it going to help your business? And if you don't know, why don't you first try the basics of those things that don't necessarily require as much technology as you think. And that's what I think actual transformation is, is changing the mindset around it. And it sounds like bullshit, but in reality, it's more of a like, we've, we've created this institution of transformation when in reality, it's just how many employees can you get to buy into doing something slightly differently? Because I'm a hmm. big believer in that. Make tiny changes, they build up to really big changes. Wow. I love the very practical nature of the way you approach things. It's a... Uh... I, that's a, I, I really appreciate that because that is the way to get things done in large organizations. If you go in and say, all right, everybody, we're changing everything, that typically doesn't work very well, right? It's always good just to start, you know, just a little stream of water and just let that thing open up the door a bit and see what happens. And um, I've done that a bunch of times and I, I can see you're sort of cut from the same cloth. So uh, I, I really respect that. And I think that's, um, that's a really great sign for your future. Well, you know, you've been super generous with your time today, and this has been a really, really fun and very insightful interview. Um, I do, um, I do want to ask you one more New Yorker question, if you don't mind, and then I'm yeah. going to close with maybe give, asking you for some advice for us. You could give me advice for Sprinkler, or give me give advice to marketers, or give advice to the industry, but kind of what, what kind of closing thought there. But here's my New Yorker question. Sure. Favorite pizza. Uh, best pizza on first. Uh, it's around the oh, block for me. I'm yeah. incredibly loyal. It is delicious. Ask for it. Well done. Light sauce. It's delicious. <laughs> really? A particular type of pizza is, uh, what, what, what kind uh, of I usually get the pepperoni, extra large pepperoni, uh, well done light sauce. Uh, huh. that is, that is my go-to. It is crispy. The cheese is amazing. Everything is absolutely perfect about it. <laughs> wow i got hit on something there okay great well i've not tried best so i'm gonna that'll be on my list when i get back to new york all right so let's close with some advice so what advice would you want to give either to to me to sprinkler to marketers like what's what's the kind of what's on your mind these days of what you think somebody should be thinking about um i would say the conversation that's enveloping my life right now is uh uh, as you kind of heard throughout the podcast so far is, uh, uh, around consumer data, um, and, uh, all the privacy concerns and stuff like that. My advice is, uh, as a consumer, really think about how much you 
are comfortable with or want to be tracked and how pissed off you would be if the organization that you go, oh, I trust this brand, I trust this company or whatever, is actively trying to circumvent something that directly benefits you. I don't think as marketers, we put ourselves into the consumer or customer shoes enough. And um, and I would say most companies or my company in particular is what is the ethics and morals around just tracking the hell out of everybody? Nobody likes it, but in marketers are just like, yeah, it's a necessary evil. Let's try not to do the evil thing. Let's let's figure out what is a an equitable way to go about it. It's complicated as hell, but at least have the conversation. It'll make you feel better. <laughs> Love it. Don't be evil. So just as a uh, codicil on this conversation here, so I'm just about to sign off, right? And an email comes in. And I saw it come, I saw the, the toast on it. And um, it's from Purple. <laughs> it's uh, Jaden from Purple. Purple, you recently had a chat with Jaden. How satisfied are you with the service you received from Jaden today? <laughs> oh, I don't think they okay. know what they did right there. <laughs> well, so well, talk about timing, right? And it's from Poor to Excellent. And so I'm about to think, well, what should I say here? Because they have a, like a sort of an emo- emoji of Jaden. Mm-hmm. And then it says she loves curling up on the couch and reading, spending time with my family, and going on adventures to my backyard and anywhere else. And now I feel like really terrible. I feel like oh. I can't say something bad about Jaden because I'm gonna like that's not gonna be so now now I'm in like a really weird situation where I really want to tell Purple they've got a problem with their systems, but I'm not really sure it's necessarily Jaden's fault, right? And this is I another mean, why, why so now this write... experience is getting worse for me. Now I'm feeling guilty now. Not only do I have to mail this thing myself, but now I'm also feeling guilty about the experience. And this is this is terrible. What is going uh, on here? <laughs> I, I think you gotta respond and just be like, like, listen, I'm not this isn't about it's it's given neutral one, right? The comments be like, listen, this isn't about Jaden. This is actually about what's going on, what's going on yeah. here. And explain it. Just be like, listen, I'm not asking you to do everything for me, but like seriously, you're missing out. I'm, I'm a huge evangelist with regards to this stuff. And and I respond, like, you could have asked a couple more questions. Here's some advice. I'm in marketing. Have a great day. Or yeah. Or you can go further is just uh, connect with the, pur- the purple CMO on uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I guarantee you they'll accept and uh, and you'll have a nice conversation with them about how to improve it. I'm Maybe they'll become that. a client if they aren't already. I'm going to do that. Actually, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to bring the purple CMO on this show. I'm gonna and I'm gonna do a whole show on this and ask, and maybe I'll bring their CCO too, their chief customer officer on and get the maybe I'll connect the two of them finally and get them to work on this. This could be super <laughs> fun. Anyway, so this all happened live while we were doing this. Thanks, Josh. So Josh, um, we're gonna I'm gonna sign off now. I want to thank you. Thank you for your time. Fantastic insights. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to uh, seeing you in person. I'll ping you when I get back to New York, and we'll go grab maybe a slice of best pizza. That sounds perfect. Or a bagel at Tal. Or, uh, or maybe we'll take you out to Bistro Vendome for some Dover <laughs> Soul. Whatever you feel like. It'll be super fun. Perfect. Um, thank you so much for the time. Uh, so, everybody, uh, I want to thank Josh Nafman. He's the Global Director of Media and Digital at Diageo. And uh, he was our guest today on the CXM Experience. And for the CXM Experience, I'm Brad Kahn, CXO at Sprinkler. And I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>